Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey everybody, I've got a great episode for you today. I'm gonna to be interviewing RJ over at Spot On for the second time. We actually had him on a few months back and we're gonna be talking about Spot On's direction and what they're doing for restaurants. Uh, they have a great new acquisition they've just done and so we're talking about how that fits into larger context with online ordering and table seating and all of that stuff. So super interesting conversation there. He gives some great tips for merchant sales reps. I think you're gonna love it. Then I'm gonna talk in questions from the field about social media how to leverage social media to sell more merchant accounts. This might be the most practical uh, segment you've ever heard on how to sell people with social media because the advice I'm going to give you is not magical. It doesn't take a year to work out. It doesn't take $10,000 to run an ad campaign. I'm going to literally tell you, I'm going to give you instruction. I'm going to literally tell you to pull your phone out and I'm going to show you what to do step-by-step to get some merchant services leads so you can go sell them, all right? So let's dive into this episode, and I hope that this episode, as with all of our episodes on the Merchant Sales Podcast, I just wanna help you to sell more merchant accounts. All right, everybody, I am here today with RJ Horsley, the president of Spot On. How are you doing today, RJ? Doing well, James. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for making the time. Um, so exciting news from Spot On. I saw you guys are obviously always growing and acquisitions and all that. And so uh, a lot's happening over there, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot's happened. Obviously, we're, we live in a weird world right now. Uh, right. The past six months have been fascinating for us and, and, and all going in the right direction. Yep. Yep. So today, RJ and I are going to talk about fine dining restaurants and kind of the future of that um, and where Spot On sees this going with some of these acquisitions that they've done. But um, I thought maybe before we dive into that, RJ, you could give us a little context, talk about, um, you know, Spot On Reserve and this latest acquisition and how that kind of fits into your larger narrative for serving uh, restaurants. Cool. Totally. So let me, if you don't mind, let me even take a step back from there. Please. Just yeah. like a refresher on Spot On and that kind of slots where Spot On Reserve goes in. So. Sure. We're software and payments for small businesses. And our big push is we believe that that businesses need to be digital first. This, this is a trend that's been happening. Um, it's been happening for years. Right. The pandemic has accelerated that. For clearly. sure. Like, but I don't know of a business that can run their business the same way today as they could six months ago. Spot on included. Right. Everybody's needed to change and adapt. Um, and so spot on reserve is then a step in that direction. So as you think about restaurants, food and beverage more generally. Um, it's an easy one to latch onto because you and I can picture that. Right. right. Like it's really easy to picture what an experience going to a restaurant was six months ago. And like, you know how different that is today. Yes. Right. And so um, no one saw this coming. Restaurants have been adapting, but this is the accelerant of, okay, we need to do something different. Right. And from our perspective, uh, long before COVID-19, but especially during this, is, is we believe that contactless isn't just a, a payments concept. Contactless is, is a way of doing business more generally. Right. And um, as you think about restaurants today in their new normal, there's a couple things that, 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 that made the Seat Ninja spot on reserve acquisition interesting for us. One is there's now finite capacity. Oh, right? yeah. So it depends on your. It depends on the state, and it depends sure. on the city, and all the various regulations. Um, but the number of tables you have just inherently has decreased. Right. So whereas before, like I live in San Francisco, I'm from San Francisco. Uh, I lived above a, a, an Italian restaurant. Right. And classic Italian restaurant. The guys are from Italy. Right. Um, 
not for all the tea in China would they have ever had reservations because they want that feel of walk up, order a glass of wine while right. you wait. It's so relationship driven. Right. They've got to have reservations now because right. uh, there just isn't the same walk up business as before. Right. They can't bet on the fact that like they can no longer afford to have an open table to create that that environment. Sure. Um, and so they need to enable reservations. Right. That said, um, they don't need open table like the company open table right. to bring them traffic. They're going right. to be busy either way. So, exactly. so open table is incredible for driving traffic to businesses, especially right. in tourist type places. But if I was going to go there either way, I just now need to make a reservation. Well, why should the restaurant pay open table? Exactly. It's not the real value. Right. So that's number one. And then number two is, is as you think about restaurants, it's all about experience, right? Why does like, honestly, why does somebody open a restaurant in the first place? It's because they like seeing you smile. At the end of the day, like they're doing it. That's it. Yes, some people in restaurant groups, they find some niche and market opportunity, whatever. But most people get into it because they really enjoy putting smiles on people's faces. Yeah. And the experience that they can offer has now changed a little bit. Right. Because there's so much more takeout and the like. And so we're giving, this is with spot on reserve, but what we're trying to do more generally, we're giving restaurants the tools to extend the experience outside of the four walls. Right. And so one of the things with spot on reserve is to be able to text your customers, tell them when their uh, waitlist type capability, when their table's ready. But also think of it like order ahead. Your pizza went in the oven. Your pizza's going to be out in five minutes. Your pizza's ready. So when you pick up your pizza, right. pizza's actually warm. Yeah. Um, pizza's probably a bad example, but like nobody likes cold fish. Right. And so if you really want fish to be core to what you're doing, you better get it in somebody's hands fresh as possible. Sure. Yeah. So that type of concept. Does that make sense? It does. I like it. And so I think what I hear you saying is, especially with, with COVID-19 at this time, you know, restaurants where maybe the, like in our state in Pennsylvania right now, they have to be at 25% capacity, right? right. So a table that had, you know, a restaurant that had, you know, 20 tables, now they can only have five tables filled at a time. So there's this additional kind of issue where maybe the consumer wants to know for sure there's a table available. The business needs to make sure their tables are, tables are full all the time. But then it sounds like from a larger context, you're saying from a communication perspective, you want to give the restaurant the opportunity during this crazy time to still have that communication channel open with their their customers. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly right. And this crazy time aside, I think this this is going to be a trend more generally. Like, I agree. I don't think anybody believes that COVID-19 is here forever. Right. But I do think that there's a shift in this direction as it relates to the restaurant experience. Sure. Well, that's, a, that's really a perfect segue. That was kind of my next question is like, okay, so, you know, you mentioned a few challenges there. What are some other challenges that you see for restaurants and specifically beyond COVID-19? Do you see these trends kind of continuing? What are, what are kind of, what do you see as this like future for these restaurants? Yeah, of course. Well, restaurants are hard business to be in in the first place. Right, always has been. And margins, it's difficult, so on and so forth. So one of the things, and I think you brought up fine dining at one point. Right. um, If there's less less tables, uh, less people dining in, your alcohol sales are going to go down. And a lot of the margin is in alcohol. Sure. And so how do you make your business more efficient? Minimum wage is rising, so on and so forth. Your cost is going up, but your margins are are decreasing. Right. And so, um, and that is a... COVID-19, no COVID-19. Right. That's just a problem. Right. Right. Right, Exactly. And so we're trying to give our customers tools to make their business more efficient as well. So um, either turning tables faster, pumping out more orders, uh, not having lost orders, understanding margins better, understanding your business better. Uh, There was a day and age, and again, I think the pandemic accelerated this. It's not that the pandemic caused it. But where you could say, I've run my business, I've run my restaurant the same way for 20 years. Sure. 
I'm just going to keep doing this, even if my margins start to shrink. Now people actually have to have the conversation about technology. Right. Um, and, and understanding how they can be more efficient. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and reaching customers in more ways. It's fun, honestly. Yeah, because I agree. There's not, a, um, there's not a playbook. Right. It's not like one of those things that, like, okay, I'm going to flip the switch. Now I got to figure it out. Is the, right. You're having real conversations with restaurant owners uh, as they try to figure out their business. And they're right. learning from other people. And we're imparting knowledge on right. them. And our tools that we're producing are things that they actually want. Right. We're not approaching this from a, a dev perspective of, oh, my God, we created the next coolest thing. Come do this. Our product development is driven by our conversations with our clients. Right. And what do you need and how are you thinking about transitioning your business and shifting your business? Sure. Again, COVID-19 or no COVID-19, right. we want to help our customers and potential customers get to where they want to be and create that technology for that, not merely create technology and say, hey, this is the new shiny cool toy, show up. Sure, sure. So, so this is really interesting. Let's let's look at it from a different um, perspective for a second, from the agent and the ISO, right? So, uh, one thing that I always find super interesting about Spot On is how you guys are pushing the boundaries from a technology perspective, from serving the merchant, but also your models always fascinated me as far as the reseller channel, which is frankly very different than the rest of the industry, right? So, and, and I think intentionally so, of course. So, so talk about what role does the agent and the ISO now play in all of this, the small ISO, the individual agent, and, and what is Spot On doing to partner there to make this, you know, like they now need to provide all these solutions and all this stuff. So how's, how does that work on the independent agent side? Yeah, so that hasn't changed. We're a software company that does payments. We've been a software company that sure. does payments since the day we started this thing. Sure. And we are massive believers in field sales because I believe that the relationship is the key. Sure. Like it, 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 it's truly the, if you're going to using restaurant as the example, but this applies to an auto repair shop as much as it does a restaurant. Sure. If you're going to have faith in changing how you run your business, using technology to run your business, that is a leap of faith. It's right. not as simple as, you pay $100 now, and I can have you pay $98. Right. So I'd actually argue it's more important to have the right field sales team yeah. pushing our product because it's a more sophisticated conversation. We, it, the, the doing business the right way, not charging junk fees, not having contracts, all those things, that's table stakes. Sure. That's almost like 5% of the conversation. And so sure. you can look at a statement and say, why are you doing X, Y, and Z? Cool. But now let's actually talk about your business. This is why I'm here. I don't want to talk about your business. Right. Um, and so, it, it, look, it's a more sophisticated conversation. We're a W-2 shop. Our employees, health benefits, 401k, I want them to be here as long as I'm here. And, sure. and full-time employees truly living and breathing this because it's a complex sale. Right. It's, again, it's not as simple as saying I can save you a nickel and dime, switch over to me because I can save you a little bit of money. Yeah. You've got to spend the time to understand that person's business. You've got to understand our products well enough. And that, that just requires somebody who is – who's just as much a part of this company and believes sure. just as blue as I do. You know, it's one of the things that I'm really passionate about as well because I'm, I'm seeing this uh, with hundreds of agents I'm talking to where, you know, you can't look at it anymore like, yeah, I offer 17 different technology solutions and I know a little bit about each of them. Right. Well, how are you going to go to a business and address their complex needs if that's what you have to offer? Let me, let me right? double down on that for a half second. Is the, and I think this is the fundamental, fundamental difference. We're a software company that does payments, not a payments company selling software. Right. And the reason I highlight that is if you're a payments company selling software, it's exactly what you said. There's 17 different products. The core reason, like as, a, as an agent, the core reason you're in business is the payment processing. Right. If you can sell some add-ons, great. And if you need to sell some add-ons, great. But 
it's not where you spend, it's, it's not how you're paid, it's not where you, you really think, right. versus we're a software company. That's in our DNA. We've got 150 people in product from a development perspective. Right. Every single one of our account executives is wired to understand those 17 things, and we built them. We're not reselling somebody else's product. It's not a, a, um, an afterthought. That is core to the training. Every single one of our clients gets our software. Right. Um, and so it's just in their DNA from the outset. And again, I really think that's an important delineation. Yeah, Because it's, it's, um, a zebra doesn't change its stripes. I can use 5,000 different metaphors, but you're just wired a certain way. And if it's in your DNA, then you can believe it. If it's, it's, if, if it's not the reason you're doing business, then it's always going to be an afterthought. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, okay, so let's talk. I want to get really specific for just a minute with spot on reserve. So sure. let's assume that I am a customer and I want to go to a restaurant that has spot on reserve. Can you give us a little more detail of what exactly is this experience like on both sides? Go online. You want to book a reservation at your website, at, at whatever your favorite restaurant is. Okay. Literally that. It's the reservation engine to be able to book that appointment or book that reservation. Okay. So when you go to, I, I live next door to a place called Mamanoko. Okay. Um, which is a sushi restaurant. If I wanted to book a table at Mamanoko, I go to mamanoko.com. It's got the ability for me to make a reservation for two people. James and I are going to go at seven o'clock on Friday. It's that engine that's powered through their website. Got it. And you can also do it through the spot on app. Okay. Same thing with our online ordering, but you can do it through the spot on app. Uh, And then it's starting to send me notifications. Got it. Where your reservation's in a half hour, your table's ready. Sure. You need to cancel your table, whatever it may be. Sure. Again, it's that communication platform. And, and I'm assuming, but, and I'm assuming, it's important to do it through the merchant's website. Okay. It's their experience. I'm not saying. Okay. That's what I was just about to, to ask you. Go to spoton.com and search for Mamanoko and do that. Look, it, it means they, we are successful if our clients are successful. We sure. want to push their brand further. Right. Um, spot on can play in the background. We want, as long as they know that we're helping them be successful, nobody knows, needs to know who we are. We sure. want them to be the ones that people are building brands. And, and is that how it's actually structured? Like, just to clarify, like, if I'm a rep and I'm selling in my local market and I have, like, seven different restaurants that have spot on reserve, do customers need to create a separate, like, profile or whatever for each of those seven? Or is it, like, the spot on platform? Or I'm a little confused by that part of it. Spot on platform behind the scenes. Okay. But you're booking a re- you're, you're booking your table at mamanoka.com and then tipsypig.com and then bluebarn.com or whatever it may be. Okay, got it. So there, so there is some platform effect there oh, as well. 100%, 100%. Okay, I, I kind of figured. Got it. Okay, all right. And I think that's I... Anything fundamental to us from a product perspective. All of this is platform. Sure. And so um, that's what makes this exciting as as you continue to use more pieces of the product. Sure. Okay, last last product-related question. So how do you see this new acquisition and the direction spot on is going? How Are you on a collision course with you know Uber Eats and... DoorDash and things like that? Or is this kind of like, this is totally different because you're not providing distribution, you're just providing software? Like, how do you see this whole ecosystem playing out over the next few years? Um, stay tuned. <laughs> I was going to say, your smile said, oh, said yeah, a lot I, there. I, so. I think <laughs> if, if, if our goal is to help restaurants, but there's interesting things around retail as well. Sure, um, of course. Adjust to this new norm. Delivery is part of that. Right. And how do we, and it's an ever-increasing part of people's business. Sure. So how do we help enable that? Right. And it goes back to that concept of, let's use DoorDash as an example, but it could be Uber Eats, it could be anybody. Right. Um, does RJ, the customer, have an experience with Uber Eats, or am I building a relationship with Roma and Tika? And so we want to enable our clients, or 
we want to enable our clients to enable their customers to build a relationship with with Roma Antica. Sure. Not third party. Got it. Um, so so uh, I don't know if it's fair to say collision course, but we want to, um, especially around America, not just in San Francisco, New York, LA, DC, Boston. Right. We want to enable restaurants and customers more generally to have the tools that they need that are normally only used in those massive metro markets. Right, right. And, and I think it's an important point and it's something that's not talked about much in our industry. I mean, there is an opportunity as a local rep to kind of build out a platform effect, you know, in your local yeah. market. I mean, it, if you already have 20, 20 restaurants that are making hundreds of reservations through the platform a day, going to restaurant 21 should be a pretty simple pitch. That's right, exactly like right, and that goes back to the concept of the people we're hiring and them being employees. Is there's a real opportunity to build a brand in the market, right? And, and to have that network effect you're describing. That's hard if you're a 1099 um, working for three or four different shops, sure, because that that brand never gets created. But but we we want people as a business. We want our clients to think about us every single day. You know the payments industry. Yep. Um, often. ISOs, once the deal's sold, they hope and pray you never think about them ever again. Of course. <laughs> because either something's wrong or I'm paying too much money. Right. Whereas right. we are doing everything we can to be front and center for our clients because we truly believe that we're going to follow through on our on our promise. We are who we say we are. And right. if we do those things, then us being front and center creates that network effect. Sure. Well, and I think also pure payment processing is really more of a utility, whereas as a software company, you're providing things that they're using very, very consistently. So, um yeah. So uh, a couple quick things. Uh, I'd love to get a quick tip, just a quick insight from you. So, you know, you see all these people, sales reps, ISOs, small ISOs, you know, they're dealing with COVID-19. They're dealing with like rapidly changing technology in the industry. You know, just in general, what is a tip that you'd like to give the individual agent, a small ISO that's trying to make that pivot? They're trying to get their 2020 back on track and hit their goals. What do you want to tell them? Man, good question. Uh, <laughs> look, I think I'll use what we did as a business as an example of how I think it things right. play itself out. It's really easy to do the right things when everything's up and to the right. Yeah. Right. When things are humming, it's really good to have. It's really easy to have good values. Sure. And it's really easy to work hard and all of those things. It's when there's a stress test that that gets put to the challenge. Right. And so I guess my my tip would be. Um, stick. Maintain your values. Right. Truly. Continue to actually like care about the customer. Yeah. Continue to have a plan. Continue to execute on that plan. Yeah. Um, and then I think the biggest, more than anything else, is have empathy. Wow. That's because good. The, the, the customer, um, it's a weird time for everybody. Yeah. And if you think about that small business owner, the weight of the world's on their shoulders. Yeah. They're responsible for that business. They're responsible for the employees of that business. They probably have a family at home. Like, right. that's a stressful job and so if you have empathy and you actually like in your heart of hearts care about that business and want to help that business yeah i think that will rub off yep if you're transactional i think we're not in a time where people are, are prepared for a transactional conversation yeah um they're, they're looking for somebody who genuinely cares about them and wants them sure. to see success so awesome i think that, that'd be a more naming Love it. Well, I'm sure we could keep talking about this for a long time, but uh, what let's do is let's end it with some contact info here. So um, I know a lot of our uh, you know listeners, whether they're agents, small ISOs, they may be interested in this kind of employee model, spot on technology company. Where would you yeah. send them to learn more about you and learn more about spot on's uh, reseller program? Well, spot on.com is the obvious place to go. But um, if you want to apply careers at spot on.com, honestly, email me RJ at spot on.com. I want to have these conversations. This is what's fun for me. Yeah. Um, I, I believe in what we're doing and, and 
the most important part of our business is our team. Yeah. That's not lip service. Is is it's quality people who are willing to work hard and actually care about customers. And we will always be looking for great talent. So uh, I'd love to have a conversation with anybody. Awesome. RJ, as always, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for sharing your insights and your time with us today. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. Hey everybody, in today's episode on Questions from the Field, I wanna talk to you about social selling. So how do we sell more merchant accounts, leveraging platforms like LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram? And so this is a topic that I'm really passionate about because I really believe that so many salespeople just have the wrong idea about social media and there are really two kind of prevailing opinions that I see playing themselves out in the marketplace right now. The first opinion I see playing out most commonly with merchant services reps is that social media is either too complicated to understand as far as selling on it. You know, I know how to, I can post on Facebook and interact and, and I can put pictures on Instagram and I can, you know, I, I'm following conversations on Twitter, but as far as me actually making sales using these platforms, it's just too complicated um, and it's something that you don't do. You're not actively engaged. And so if I asked you, how many merchants have you sold in the last 30 days or the last six months as a direct result of your activities on social media platforms, you would answer and say nothing or very, very little interaction there. You're not getting the results at all, okay? So you're not on these platforms and you've just convinced yourself that either it's not possible or if it is, it's too complicated or too expensive. The other thing I see is I see people who are trying to build a strategy in order to eliminate work using social media. So they've convinced themselves that somewhere out there, there exists this magical um, social media process that's just going to solve all of their problems and it's just going to bring them all of these leads. It's going to be on autopilot with click funnels. And they're just going to get, you know, merchants are just going to sign up on their own automatically, you know. And if I asked you, how many merchants have you sold as a direct result of your social media activities in the last 30 days to six months? Many of you would have the same answer as the first group. Nobody. Because... In order to implement that strategy, it takes a lot of money and it takes a lot of time. And so it takes a lot of work either way, but you're going to have to, you know, if you're trying to get that strategy going, that's going to require a lot of content. And even then, it's not going to be the most effective in that way. So what I've been doing is um, we have our six-week jumpstart program. For those of you that aren't familiar with it, that's where individual sales agents come to me and we do coaching um, for a six-week period of time. And one of the things I'm doing right now is every week I'm doing a 30-minute Zoom session and we're doing kind of a deep dive into each of these social media platforms each week um, and then recording the, those episodes and it's a group thing. So today we I just finished the one that we did and we had some great questions from our group. 
Um, and so it's just our people that are in the six-week jumpstart program. And then we're able to further discuss that, of course, with our one-on-one coaching calls and all of that. So if you want to learn more about that and jump into it, just go to ccsalespro.com, scroll down the page a little bit and click on the six-week jumpstart program. But, um, you know, I wanted to kind of touch on this because I'm like, it's in my mind right now, just having had this, uh, this group session, coaching session with a few um, select people there. You know, what I believe is that there's actually a middle of the road approach here that is really effective. It's really simple and it can be effective from day one. You could literally, if you follow the advice I'm going to give you right now, I mean, I mean, I'm going to give you really specific advice right now. You could make two or three sales. You could sell two or three merchants in the next couple of weeks extra if you would follow this advice. Okay. So the advice is really, really simple. It's this. Social media is an amazing tool that you can use to maximize the effectiveness, sorry there, that you can use to maximize the effectiveness of your of your prospecting activity, okay? It is not something you can use to eliminate your prospecting work. It is something you can do to multiply it, to maximize it, to make it more effective. So how do we do this? I'm going to give you really specific advice. Are you ready? Now, if you're listening to this in your car, definitely pull over before you do this. All right. Get out your phone and I want you to open up your LinkedIn app on your phone. Okay. Question number one, and we're just going to do LinkedIn right now. Maybe I'll do another series on this here and talk about it a little bit more in detail, but take out your phone, get out LinkedIn. And let me give you a demonstration of what I talk when I'm talking about social selling, what I mean. When you pull up the LinkedIn app up at the top, you're going to see a search bar. Go into that search bar and put the word owner. O-W-N-E-R, owner, and hit hit return, hit enter, and it's going to search, okay? Now, you're going to notice across the top, there are different things you can click on. I want you to click on people, people, okay? Now, once you click on people, then you're going to notice to the up at the very top, there's two drop downs up there. One is called connection, and the other one is called location, all right, or locations. So, Start by clicking on connections and select first and second degree. So we only want to see people that either we are connected to on LinkedIn or that are connected to people that we're connected to on LinkedIn. All right. Once you've done that, then click on locations, type in the area you're in and, you know, kind of do a broader search. So like I I typed in Pittsburgh, I, I hit the greater Pittsburgh area, right? So whatever area you're in, search for kind of a broader area geographically. Uh, and that's it. Now, start looking down through that list. Do you see any prospects there that look like they would be good prospects? Okay, now you're going to find some, I can guarantee you, unless you aren't active on LinkedIn at all and have no connections. So if you find some good connection points, there are some good prospects, what should you do with them now? You know, Well, now we need to put them in an automated, magical sales funnel, right? Wrong. What do we need to do? Google their business find out where it is and go drive out there after you send them a connection request and walk in and say, Hey, uh, how are you doing today? Great. You know what? I actually found you on LinkedIn because I saw that you were connected to Bill who I've known for quite a while that I'm connected to on LinkedIn. And so we share that connection. How do you know Bill? Start a conversation, make a sale. It's that easy. Okay. Um, you say, well, I don't want to go out in the field right now. Okay. Then call them up. Send them a connection request and then call them up. 
hey, thanks for connecting with me on LinkedIn, or I just sent you a connection request on LinkedIn, and I wanted to personally reach out so we could make a connection since we're both local business owners. And I just wondered if you had a couple minutes for an introduction call, maybe tomorrow I could give you a call. I'd love to learn more about what you do at your business and tell you a little bit about what I do. And again, you can look me up. I'm right there on LinkedIn. I just sent you that uh, connection request. Okay? So... When I'm talking about social selling, I'm talking about using social media to give me more prospects to sell. I'm not talking about using it to automate everything so I don't have to try to sell anybody, okay? So, you know, there's many, many other things here. I don't have time today to dive into all of them. Obviously, make sure your so your profile on LinkedIn is fully up to date. Make sure your tagline at the top makes sense for people that don't know you and you want them to know what you do. And then, of course, you can do similar strategies with uh, Instagram, direct messages, with Twitter, at mentioning people. So use these platforms, not in some mysterious, magical way, but by finding people that are going to be good prospects, leveraging that data, and then prospecting them just like you would normally, except that in your opening pitch, it gives you a huge leg up because you can talk about the connections that you share on LinkedIn, or you can talk about the content that you or they have shared on Instagram or Twitter. And so it just gives you a big leg up and a great opener to have that winning conversation with the merchant. So that's social media selling according to James Shepard. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com, and we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.